0: Well, greetings to each one of you in the worthy name of the Lord Jesus. Uh, I'm just thinking, just a minute ago, where would I rather be at right at this minute than right here? In the house of God, singing praises remembering remembering what he has done for us truly he is worthy he is worthy if you would turn the gospel of John the gospel of Jesus Christ according to John chapter 9 and we'll pick up here in uh, John chapter 9 I think I shared this last time but this this is to me this narrative here in John 9 is one of my favorites in the gospels I've just uh we see the the, sh- the huge contrast here in John 9. And what I mean by that is that on the one hand we see the power of God and on the other hand we see the puny resistance of man. Uh, It's just truly truly good for me to see that. (laughs) It's humbling when we see the sovereignty of God displayed here in John 9. And last time we looked at John 9 verses 1 through 12. And uh, I think we should read it again, and then we'll go into our text for today. Let's read John 9. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam which is translated, sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and and I received sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. So uh, our text this morning will be the following uh, through the end of the chapter, beginning in verse 13. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. He said, he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. They asked them, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. What a contradiction. Can you imagine He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple. But we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Why? This is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, "You were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us?" And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. When he had found him, he said to him, "Did you believe in the Son of God?" He answered and said, "Well, who, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him?" And Jesus said, "You have both seen him." And it is he who who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see. Therefore, your sin remains. Beautiful passage. Just a a glorious passage of Scripture. And as we were looking at uh, last time, I titled it, Jesus Gives Light to Blind Eyes. Today we could title it, Seeing Eyes Blinded. Seeing Eyes Blinded. Um, And last time... As we looked at John nine verses one through twelve, we seen the sovereignty of God on display, the sovereignty and the goodness of God. how that God has a right to have someone born blind have this have this congenital condition that he had nothing to do with it had and and as I pointed out, the reason I think John nine verses one through twelve is is so stark is that there is no human cause there. There is nothing there that was uh, that caused this man's blindness outside of the sovereign will of Almighty God. I mean, I think we just simply need to let that sink in. That, that, that it was God's will, and for what purpose did He do that? It is for that glory of those... 30 minutes, whatever it took for Christ, as Christ was passing by to see this poor man, this, 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 this specimen of humanity who was sitting there blinded and he was begging, probably had his hand out. And Christ, the purpose that for this man being born blind was for the glory that would be revealed, not only to the bystanders, But to us here today, that we would comprehend that there is a sovereign God who rules over the affairs of man. And that we ultimately must humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and that he will exalt him, exalt us in his due time. And and here we see just the, the beauty of this sovereignty and the right that God has of asking such from us. And this is is easier to preach than it is to comprehend and to accept. And I think we, we know that. But the goodness of God is also on display here in verses 1 through 12. The fact that Jesus seen this man, and he didn't see a beggar. He said, when he seen this man, you know what he said? He said, I must get to work. I must get to work. This is what I came for. This is my mission. This is the purpose that God, Almighty Sovereign God, sent me to the world to do this work this hour. So the rule of God is not only in the healing of this blind man, but also in his congenital condition. This passage is unambiguous in its statement of the purpose of this man being born blind, that the works of God might be revealed in him. But the goodness of God is showing us how he rules in the affairs of men. And I I, I think it's a joy to me to know that all the... You know, I, I am I'm a nobody. I, 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 uh, I'm out here. Um, I, I'm not educated. I, I'm not an elite. I'm not of, of the upper class. I, I'm, not a, I, I'm just a, a farmer who, who stands here before you preaching. But I, I'm telling you, it's a joy to me to know that every one of us, all of us, all of humanity, is in John nine, and we are called to submit to the sovereign hand and rule of God, and and we're all on that same plane. So now, in verses thirteen through thirty-four, we see man's response to the work of sovereign God. We see man's response. Now, I have a little prop here, and I don't know if if uh, if those on Facebook can see me outside of, but I want to I have just this little prop here Uh, it's just a piece of cardboard, but I can make something out of this piece of cardboard and as you can easily see it's just a simple cardboard box and uh, I want to well I'm confused see here we go I want to simply use this as an object lesson. This box, if you were to describe, if you were to see this box in John 9, what do you think it would represent? What would you think would represent the box in John 9? Well... I would, I would submit to you that the box represents Judaism in A.D. 33, that I would like to say Judaism according to the traditions of man, not according to God's divine law given to Moses, but rather what it had become at the minute in the time of Christ, at the ministry of of christ judaism remember he came to his own and his own received him not they had this box and if you were to look at john 9 christ was passing through and he opened the box okay he opened the box and and it was dark in there it was dark in there and this man was in the box this blind man was in the box we have about four different parties here in John nine that I want to consider as being in this box. About four different parties we read about. First, it's the blind man, and then we have the neighbors, and 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 that is the they that we see in verse thirteen. They brought him. That's it, we don't think a lot about the they, but it is the neighbors of verse eight. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind, it is those who said, well, who is he? Who is he? Oh, is this not he? Yeah, yeah, it is he. No, it's not. It's someone like him. No, he said, it is, it is, it is I. <laughs> well, they then, whatever happened was such a profound happening that they thought it would be necessary to take it to the religious rulers and, and say, well, well, Pharisees, what do you think about this? So they, and and, and just a, a, and we'll, we'll leave them very, very directly, but whenever there's a conflict like we see here in John 9, there are always neighbors. There are always bystanders. We should always remember that there are people looking into this occurrence between the conflict of, of those whom had an encounter with Christ and the religious authority. There are always people watching. And that we should be sensitive to the fact that what you and how you're living and how you're accepting this opposition and how you're dealing with it is being observed. So there are neighbors who are in the box. They're in the darkness of the box. And yes, the blind man's still in there. The religious rulers are in there. And the parents of this man are in there. Those are the four parties that we read about here in John 9, verses 13 through 34. The blind man, the neighbors, the Pharisees, and the parents of the blind man. Now, who in John 9 is out of the box? The Lord Jesus. He is outside of the box. Why is he outside of the box? Because he is the Son of God. He has a right to determine what all of us do in the box or out of the box, you see. He's God. He is God. And so how we how we relate to, that's what we're seeing in this account, is people who are in a very religious setting, and, and by the grace of God, I think I'm, preaching to the choir. But this is, I would simply, I I know you understand these truths, but I would like to just, just point out some of the things as we relate to those who are still in the box. Because we hear glory in Christ. We glory in being outside of the box of dead religion. But we all know people, we all know neighbors, we all have neighbors who are still in the box. What is going on in their mind? What is going on in their hearts? What, is, what, what are they doing? How is their unbelief manifested? You see. What is going on that, they, uh, that, that you have this opposition? And so as we, as we begin here, we see... Three parties there in the very first verse. They brought him who was formerly, who formerly was blind to the Pharisees, and like I said, I, I it seems to me that I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure what their motive was for bringing him. It's a little conjecture there. Why did they bring him? It, it seems to me like they knew that that there was opposition because very event next verse said, now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And, and, uh, we have this interesting, we've seen it back in John five where the man by the pool of Bethesda was healed. It was like Christ was taking again, another opportunity to, to, um, uh, to just, to, to, to confront their dead religion, to confront what was in the box and to challenge it and to say, I am not subject to your box, you see. He wasn't unnecessarily being provocative. He was just saying, I will not, as Paul said in Galatians, I will not submit no for, not, not for an hour, remember, when they were saying that That circumcision is necessary. And this is kind of the same attitude. Jesus said, I'm not submitting to your box. And so he took the opportunity to open the box on the Sabbath. And to make something on the Sabbath. He made clay. He anointed the eyes. And he healed this man. So we see here, then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. And, you know, it's a little hard to sometimes, as we think about this analogy of the blind man being in the box as well. But the blind man doesn't truly get out of the box until verse uh, about 38, he wasn't truly out of the box. Until verse 38, when he joined Christ outside of the box. Now, was God working in his life and in his heart in the box? Yes, absolutely. The illumination of God's word was working in this man's life. And while he was in that dead religion of the box... Something was going on, and and I think we've all experienced this in our own past, where we began to ask questions. We began to investigate. Yeah, we're still in the box, but we're asking questions, you see. And we're challenging, not necessarily, we're not arrogantly challenging anything. We're simply asking, why do we do such as this when this says this, you see? And these things are happening. And sight was given to this man, physical sight, he had an encounter with Christ. His eyes were opened and he began to, he began to understand that there's a larger world than the little confines of Judaism. And that sovereign God is even outside of this, these confines. That, that he's much greater than the, than, the, than the Jewish rabbis were teaching him. And so, we see here in verse uh, 16, Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. I, I think the first thing probably I want to say here about unbelief, willful unbelief, is that it uses the wrong standard notice where they immediately went this man does not is not from god because he does not observe the sabbath okay that is a that is a definite statement that he does not observe the sabbath and they have no grounds of him not observing the sabbath according to the law of God, the standard of God. But see, they had a different standard. They had their own traditions that, were, that they were using to measure Christ by, you see. They had it all wrapped up in the confines of this box, and, and it was pretty dark in there. And, and they couldn't really, you know, it was, it, was, it was so dark in there, and they had trapped everything inside, and they had defined the parameters of their religion. The box, that's, that's the definition of this box, is it defines the parameters of the religion. And, and though, though it is not so confining to them, it's more comforting to them, you see. Because as long as you are in the box of, of, of so-called organized religion, then there's a sense of comfort there. There's a sense of security there. There's no way to challenge that, you see. And so they take the standards, their own standards, and they apply it to sovereign God outside of the box, you see. They say, well, he doesn't observe the Sabbath. Well, the Sabbath had never denied the right to to, to aid someone in necessity or to show a kindness to someone. The Sabbath had never forbidden that. And so we see that they were measuring the Lord Jesus by their traditions that they had added to the fourth commandment, not by the standard of the word of God. And so unbelief uses a wrong standard. Also in verse 16, we see it says, Others said, okay, the Pharisees said this, this man is not from God. Because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said this. How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? Interesting that they said signs. There was only one sign in John 9. See, there was a track record. There were people in the Sanhedrin. This was think council where they had brought this man this was probably an impromptu gathering of the Sanhedrin and here there were some in there who said well this man has a track record of doing signs not just we're not just talking about the opening of the blind man's eyes but there he has a track record of such signs like these how can a sinner do that you see and there was a division Among them. You know, it might look good on the outside, but it is full of dead man's bones on the inside. It is full of division and all manner of dissension in the box. It might look like it's united and it's all contained in the one box, but it confines all the the vileness and disunity inside, you see. There was a division, simply a division, not in the common folks, not necessarily just in the common folks, but also in the Sanhedrin, in the rule of the Jewish people. Now there was a division among them. Interesting. Remember, this comes from a work of sovereign God showing a kindness to a poor beggar, and it created a division. And the religious authority of the day. Amazing. Then they said verse seventeen to the blind men again, let's hear it again. Would you recount it again? The Pharisees asked him again in verse fifteen, because he had already explained it in verse eleven. He explains it to the Pharisees in verse fifteen. And then they ask him again, well, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? So that was the big question. The division was, who is this man? Who is this Christ? And then they ask the blind man, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? Well, he says the same thing, remember, that the Samaritan woman said to Christ. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. That you're more than meets the eye, that you you know remember what a prophet is, a prophet is someone sent from God with a message from God about God, you see, and so the Samaritan woman recognized that he was a prophet, and then this blind man in the in the council of all these religious elites said, well, he's a prophet, I mean he has to be, he he has a message. From God, he has he he's from God, has a message from God, and they had just got done saying in the council, "This man is not from God." You see. Well, verse eighteen, the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind. You say, you see, but unbelief discredits the miracle, and not only that, it discredits the need for one think about it willful unbelief will simply ch- try to discredit a miraculous thing that could only have been done by God tries to discredit it and then not only does it that it 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 actually tries to discredit the need for a miracle you know there are there are th- places where if you are Part of a man-centered religion that all you need to do is be in the religion. Be in the box. You don't need to be born again. You see, that's what was going on here. Is They were trying to even discredit the need for the miracle. They were said, I don't believe that you were born blind. I don't believe you. You see, they didn't just discredit the miracle, but they discredit the need for it. That he had, they did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. Now I want you, I want you to think about something here in verse, in verse uh, twenty-two, that is very telling about willful unbelief, willful unbelief has already made their mind up. They had not only made their mind up, but about that Christ was not from God, but that there will be consequences for anyone who says He is. You see. We, We need to understand that this willful unbelief was a predetermined conclusion that they said... His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already. At some prior date, they had already agreed that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. So unbelief asks for more evidence, verse 18, with no intent to believe it. Well, what do your parents say? Is there a validation that you claim you've been born blind? It's ridiculous. His neighbors were right there. The man was right there. You see, the man's own testimony meant squat. Nothing. Unbelief asks for more evidence with no intent to believe. And as we go further here, we see... As he says, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered and said to them, yes, we know that this is our son. Of course. See, there was there was no way to weasel out of that one. You know, sometimes you, you may wish that you could, but other times you are happy to. I say, yes, he's mine. But here it says, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. We know that too. He was born blind. And so the rulers did not find what they wanted here. They would have loved any sort of discredit that they could have brought in here, any sort of uncertainty that they could have highlighted and said, well, yes, this is not what he means. But notice, just think with me a little bit. If you had a child born blind, can you imagine the anguish of that the the heartache the, the the difficulty of raising a man born blind of walking down the street and seeing your son sitting on the sidewalk holding his hand out don't you think that was hard that that was difficult of course it was of course it is it's difficult. Jesus had done these parents a wonderful goodness. And they were scared to give Him credit for it. You know, that's, that's one of the most terrible things that willful unbelief does. It's squelches rejoicing in those who should be rejoicing. In those who should be praising God... Christ himself riled these people, riled the, riled the ang- stirred up the anger of the Pharisees by healing this man. Yet they could not stand the ire of these same people to glorify Christ. You see what is going on here? The parents were scared to death. Because they were in the box and it defined them, it was who they were. And it suddenly, if if I stick my head out of this box, I'm I can't be in the box anymore. You see, they have already threatened. Willful unbelief uses intimidation to control and to keep somebody in line, to keep them in the box. Unbelief causes fear of man. The parents were unbelievers. They were not willing to stick their necks out to give Christ the honor that Christ deserved for the great goodness that Christ had given to their son, to them. And so they put it back on their son. He's of age. And we see he was quite able, wasn't he? He was old enough to take care of himself here, wasn't he? It's a beautiful picture. Because he had an encounter with Christ, you see. His eyes were being opened. Great courage have those who love thy law. Praise God. His eyes were being opened. His parents were you know what they were but they said talk to him he's old enough to tell you what happened and that's how they got out of it because they were fixing to get kicked out of the box and so his parents said he is of age ask him so they again called the man hey come over here and said to him give god the glory it's almost like maybe saying, swear by God that this is the truth. Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. Or give, all, give God all the glory for what happened to you, opening your eyes. We don't know how it happened, you know, but give God the glory. But this man over here, he's, he's a sinner. We know that this man is a sinner. And you know, just a little bit ago, in John 8:46, here's what Jesus said to these people. He said, "Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me?" Then behind his back, when Christ wasn't there, they said, "We know he's a sinner." But when he tells them to their face, convict me of sin, show me where I have sinned. And they could not and never could have. But here they said, yeah, we know he's a sinner. Unbelief, willful unbelief indicts God as the wrongdoer. That is, this is the, this is the height. This is this is or the depth, this is the depth of their depravity, to literally, and, and we have, I think we've even seen this. We see this sometimes in our, in our own, is where we, where we have in the past encountered God, and people have discredited it as some, some other thing than God. May we never go there, that we would say, because he doesn't fit in here, that means he's outside of, that means he's a sinner. And they were saying this of the Son of God. Willful unbelief will go that far as to indict God as the wrongdoer. This is, this is really serious stuff. Well, he answered and said to them, Well, I couldn't say that, basically, is what he said. Whether he is or not, I don't know. But he he might have said, well, I can't say that he's a sinner. You know, he could have said that. And, And maybe that was the intent. But he just simply said, whether he is or not, I don't know. And here in the face of hardened opposition and obstinacy, this man clung to what he knew. How many times... Have we had to do that? Don't, can't you relate to that? In the face of opposition, we come back to our own subjective encounter of, of, with God. We recognize, I know that I know that, I know that this is true. I know this is true. I don't, know the, I don't know the theology behind it. I don't know the doctrine behind it. But I do know that I see where I once was blind. What a powerful testimony. That experientially, and that is the glory of the gospel, is it's meant to be experienced. It's not just an intellectual argument that we argue out here and debate and debate and debate. No, it's, it's meant to be felt it's what the old timer said it was felt religion, you see. Felt religion. Have you felt religion? Or are you in the box where everything is defined and it's all predetermined? No. Religion is to be felt, is to be experienced. Yes, it is subjective and we measure the subjective evidence with the objective evidence of the word. I am not saying that we do not, that we discredit this by what we experience. I'm saying that we measure our subjective experience by the objective truth of the scripture. But if we don't have a subjective truth, how do we know that this is, I mean, how do we know even that we are of God? If we haven't felt anything. And so he comes back and he says. One thing I know that though I was blind. I see now. My eyes have been opened. Then they said to him again. What did he do to you? (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's hilarious it is a, again and again they come back well can we change your story just a little bit would you just please repeat what happened to you maybe we can get something out of that and he says to them and there's what did he do to you how did he open your eyes and he answered them and verse 27 is just funny it, it's 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 inspiring this man was not intimidated. I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it? Remember, why do you want to hear it again? This are the religious leaders that he was under. They had great power over his life. They had a lot of things going on that, that are going to affect him in just a little bit. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciple? In verse 28, then they reviled him. Basically, they cursed him. They just cursed him. They reviled him. And as as one saint said, may us and our children always be under this curse. Where he says, You are his disciples. And we know that unbelief does revile the followers of Christ. Blessed are they when they speak all manner, blessed are you when they speak all manner of evil against you and revile you for his name's sake. Yes. So unbelief does revile the disciples of Christ. Just expect it. Just expect it. That's what you can expect for those who are in the box. They said to him, you are his disciples. We are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses best for this fellow. We do not know where he is from. Well, when they said, you are his disciples, but we are Moses' disciples. Unbelief and ignorance go hand in hand. Unbelief and ignorance go hand in hand. What they were claiming is that they were, they were proponents of Moses. They were glorying in Moses. But if they would have read his writings, they would have believed Christ. See, there was no con- there is no conflict between being a disciple of Christ and a disciple of Moses. There's no conflict there. None at all. Actually, Jesus spoke into this. Let's flip back into John five, just, just briefly. John five, and I just speed this up. John 5:45 through 47, "Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. Isn't that interesting? He wrote about me. But if I, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words, Jesus said. And Jesus and Moses, they spoke well of each other. There was no conflict between... And so... They were saying, we are Moses' disciples, but they were not. They were ignorant of Moses' teachings. They were ignorant of his writings. And therefore, they could not even honestly claim to be Moses' disciples. But verse 29 shows a great disdain for Christ. We know that God spoke to Moses as for this fellow. This fellow, we don't know where he is from. We don't know where he is from. That's why we don't believe in him. We don't know where he's from. Well, the, ser- the very opposite argument was used back in John seven twenty seven. Think about it. Here it says in John seven twenty seven. However, we know where this man is from. But when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. That's why they didn't believe in him. Back in John 7, well, we don't know where he's, we, we know where he came from. He came from Joseph and Mary and, and his brothers are right here. He was, you know, he's from Galilee. We know where he's from. So, well, that discredits him. We can't believe in him. We know where he's from. It's, it's just goes to show that willful unbelief doesn't care what the evidence is. They have a presupposed, predetermined conclusion, and they will not believe. Unbelief is inconsistent. It uses whatever it can to oppose. But we see a beautiful, as we move through uh, this man's response. We know that God spoke to Moses, as for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Well, that's an amazing thing, that's marvelous. Here were these elites. They should have known where this man is from. You do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Can you imagine? A miracle such as that. And they don't know where he is from. Well, now we know that God does not hear sinners. And and here's here's something I think we should think about here. This is not saying that God doesn't hear sinners. It simply means that if someone is is hell bent towards sin and unrepentant, that God he doesn't have God's ear; that he he, he will not God will not move for his account on his account. Um, that that I think is what this man is saying. Not that if there's a repentant sinner and cries out to God that God won't hear him. No, not at all. This is not a discouragement for sinners to cry out to God. It's rather saying that if there's hypocrisy involved as these, as these uh, Pharisees were, that God was not going to hear them. And it, we see it in, in, uh, in the Psalms. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. The idea is that, that we're... Holding to something. We are not honest before God. Now, we know that if God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, He hears Him. Since the world began and it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. It was unheard of. It was, it, it was, it was a, a miraculous thing. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And that's what we see here. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And I had to think of verse 3, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. If this man were not from God, he would not be able to perform these uh, miracle, this miracle. And, and it was a very logical argument from a man who couldn't even read couldn't even read had never seen the text of the torah had never seen the psalms had never i mean i'm sure he had heard them but he it was he was untaught in the sense of he couldn't even read and they answered and said to him and see this is this goes back to the first part of the of this chapter they that this was their doctrine you were completely born in sin, and and that it is in indicative because of your being born blind. That's why you were born blind. Is you 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 know you were in sin. He answered, and, and and they said, you were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And this is what unbelief looks like. It is arrogant in the extreme. Unbelief. Ultimately, is pride. Unbelief is saying, "I can't hear from you. you. You are not on my level. You have no business teaching me." Okay? Isn't that just an incredible level of arrogance that any teacher worth his salt should be first taught and be willing to be taught? God forbid that we should ever get there where we have no use for those who have had an encounter for Christ and have them speak to us, speak into our lives. Are you teaching us? You see this incredible arrogance. And they cast him out, they threw him out of the box. Praise God. Threw him out. Unbelief throws the disciples of Christ out. You see, new wine doesn't fit in old wineskins. Just doesn't. Well, praise God. 35 through 41 is still here. Jesus heard that they cast him out. And it was probably common knowledge all over, all over, the, all over town. How they threw the man out. And think about it. He was the first disciple of Christ to be thrown out of the synagogue. Isn't that a, isn't that a beautiful thing? To be the first? <laughs> but it is definitely still happening. It is still happening. Believe me, it is happening. And when they had cast him out, Jesus came and found him. Just a beautiful picture of the Lord seeing after his own. He who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even to the point, this this picture of this effectual call, Where there was a call to this man to come out from among them. And Christ met him. Christ found him. He said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? And he he answered and said, who is he, Lord? See the beautiful picture of just, just show me who he is. Contrast this with the Pharisees. Just who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, you have both seen him and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Now, I, I just had to think about when Peter came in Acts 10 to Cornelius. And he fell down before, Cornelius fell down before Peter. What did Peter say? He said, get up. I am a man like you. But there is no such prohibition here. No prohibition for this man falling down and worshiping the Son of God. It was right and good. It was the perfect response to when you meet Christ to fall down and worship Him. Because, listen, He is, he is the Son of Sovereign God. He has, he's bigger than the box. He's outside of the box. And when you come out to Him... What does he say in Hebrews? Therefore, let's get with outside the camp and bear his reproach, you see. Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I've come into this world that those who do not see as this man, he knew he didn't see. And this is not just speaking about his, eye, his blind eyes. This is saying that This man was a man who knew he needed something else. That he needed sight from Jesus. For judgment, I have come into this world that those who do not see, those who understand that they are not pleasing God in this box, there's something greater needed. That's what Jesus is saying. That as long as you are protecting the box... because it is your salvation you see, then your sin remains. Your sin remains. That is, that, those, this chapter 9 closes with the four most grievous words in the English language you could say. You, therefore, your sin remains. Because if you die in that state, you will never be free from your sins. There's never a deliverance from your sin. And if it remains until you die, you will never be delivered. And so if you see it, someone in, a, in the box and is unwilling to stick their neck out for Christ, whether it's like the parents, whether it's the rulers, And they think that they are saved because they're in the box. Listen, their sin is still upon them. Their sin remains because they are not believing in the only begotten Son of God. Because He is not in the box. He's outside. And the Pharisees said... I think the Pharisees were angry here in verse 40. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said, Are we blind also? And if they would have truly admitted their blindness, they would have been delivered from their sin. But because they said, We see. And that is the grievous danger of receiving something other than Christ. Because it is in your own mind, you're saying, I see. You're just saying, we see, we comprehend, we know what pleases God. We're going to do this thing. We're going to band together. We're going to have our religion determined by the parameters of this box. And if you are trusting in that, my friend, your sin remains. You see. The call of Christ to come out and follow Him is a call to vulnerability. Do you know He wants us to be vulnerable? He wants us to come out and trust Him. And and from our perspective, from the perspective of dead religion, it's dangerous. Because there are all sorts of dangers that, that supposedly the box protects me from. But he calls us out and says, come out and be vulnerable for me. Come out and follow me. See, the general attitude of those in the box is to shelter in place. Let's just shelter in place. And I had to think of the wise man and the foolish man. Both of them had a shelter in place. One was a false profession. And when the flood came, it it broke down the house. I had to think of the three little pigs. The three little pigs. Mama kicks them out of the nest, said, Go build your house. The lazy one builds one of straw. The wolf comes along and blows down the house. The next one builds one out of sticks. It gets blown down. The third one puts a kettle on. So when chimney, when he comes down the chimney, they'll have wolf stew. You see, we have got to get out of our box and get into Christ's box. You see. And if we don't, our sin remains. And all this is willful unbelief in John nine, and uh, I, I'm excited about this passage of scripture because it just it's it's a clear picture of the ongoing struggle uh, between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, and uh, between those who profess and those who are um so i would just exhort us to consider whether we are in the box are we in christ are we in christ because there's a storm coming a storm coming unless you are in christ your sin remains let's pray lord god we thank you for john 9 We thank you for your great sovereign power and authority demonstrated in John 9. Father, I pray that we would, by your grace, by your spirit, humble ourselves under your mighty hand, that we would truly humble ourselves, that we would not raise up a religion that is against you, that denies the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that you would call us to yourself in christ and that you would raise up many more and call them to yourself in christ thank you for your great goodness to us